EDM champions. We are joined this week by Rachel Narozniak, the managing editor of Dancing Astronaut, one of the leading dance music publications in the scene. Plus, we got a ton of new music to talk about, so let's stop wasting time and roll right into the episode. DM champions, what is going on? Welcome to episode 101. Wow, man, does it feel good to be into our next 100 episodes? I mean, we've got so much in store for you over the course of this season and the subsequent seasons. But before we get there, and I don't want to hold us on for too long because we've got Rachel waiting for us, but my man, let's start off with some new music okay because there has Let's been some fire absolute fire release and i'm gonna you know i have to say okay is it wells or is it jewels it's wells right is that i thought it's wells i'm pretty sure it's wells dude wow we really should have done our research before this so champions please correct us if both we us never come prepared <laughs> we never come prepared to the pod but dude that's oh, no. why it's just i feel like it's it's more fun when you just shoot from the hip so you know what let's, let's go ahead and shoot from the hip dude who are we talking about what's the first track that we're stopping off at let's hear it well we've got We've got Huels teaming up with Jorns, which, by the way, I, I feel like they should do some type of alias together, like Huels and Jorns. Like, it's just fucking or like perfect. J&J. J&J, exactly. Well, Jorns was actually from Gent and Jorns before, by the way. That was him. Uh, that was his thing before. But now he's branched not know off. That. Yeah, he's, he's branched off now under Sable Valley, as is Huels. And they've teamed up for a track called Enter the World. And I think this is going to rock your world. Take a listen. Enter the world indeed, my friend. I feel like my computer, just like this webcam, just put in a laser straight into my dome and just freaking pulled my soul right into its motherboard and its RAM. And this is such a fire track. Once again, Sable Valley showing that, you know, they're not they're not going to be pigeonholed into a certain particular type of sound. If it's good trap, it's good trap. And Wells and Johns, these guys team up for something insane with their track, Enter the World. Alec, what are your thoughts? Well, Samir, I'll tell you, this song is epic. I've listened to this over and over again. There's just something about the production on this that is just so well done. That just right makes on. me want to keep coming back to this track because there are almost hidden layers in depth to the song. Like especially the build-up at the beginning. You can just really hear how they've come together and put together almost a picturesque soundscape. Like you can truly imagine the world that they are creating through these beats. It's just so well done. And and that drop, man, it's just, I don't know what it is about it, but it just gets me fucking amped up. It like, gets crazy. me ready to move, ready to go. Like my aggression level went from zero to a hundred after I'm not, I feel like I'm not always an aggressive person, but if I was back playing my rugby days, this would be kind of what I would listen to right before I ran onto the pitch like this would yes. just get me ready to hit some folks okay like it's just getting it's just getting rowdy to this one i absolutely let's love go. it who's next on the new music list let's go well this is quite the team up here we've got hex cougar okay we've got pauline her and I, actually these subsequent names we have not talked about in the podcast before so welcome to beyond the beats pauline her i think is how you would pronounce her name uh i love this name so sus <laughs> this is great Great fire Dude, you are And then Seho, okay? They've teamed up for a track called East Bridge. Take a listen. Once again, a collaboration that could show what happens when minds come together and try something new and creative. I think Hex Cougar is a name that a lot of people know. Pauline Her, she's a pretty uh, well-known vocalist as well. They both did an amazing job on these tracks. But let's also give some you know, some shine to So Sus and Seho, dude. 
because I really think they came in here and just gave a whole new refreshing spin and sound to what's not considered necessarily trap, but almost like future trap. I think we kind of talked about, <laughs> you kind of talked about that with Enter the World, the previous track, but I feel like now we're getting another spin, another rendition of future trap with these four people teaming up right here. Fantastic song. What are your thoughts? You know, man, like, I, I could agree with you more. This is kind of in that feature area. But just as with a lot of Hex Cougar's other tracks, um, as well yeah. as even with Paulina, you, you can't really quite put it into a box. So it's future something. It's got some bassier vibes to it. Uh, you know, it's kind no of doubt. in that sphere, that general sphere of EDM subgenres. It's just shout out again to Pauline Her because, you know, not only is she a good vocalist and a very good vocalist and talented that way, but she also is dabbling on the production side too you know oh, she's been really go. working more on the production side as well especially recently um i believe in 2019 she actually released independently um i think it was like a six a six track ep or, or something like that so she she's been working on the production side as well and just shout out to you know so sus and seho as well but i i will say whatever vocal was used on this i'm not that big of a fan of like i just didn't think mm. it, it was that I, I don't know i mean obviously it was highly edited um and changed around so it's not really someone's natural voice but i just wasn't too much of a fan of it so at the beginning when it was building up i wasn't sure if i was gonna like this but i tell you what whatever they decided to do with that drop i am a fan of it was just you, know, you could tell hex cougar was in there but you could also hear some other influences in there too and it's just another track that wants to get wants you to get rowdy it was it was awesome man so the drop definitely saved it for me i really love it Another one for the rugby playlist. And uh, you know what, dude? You know what? That, that should be its own like level of how hard a song goes. Is it on the rugby playlist or is it on the golf playlist, right? One or the other, dude. That, that, that's how you're going to know. That's how you're going to know. This is, yeah, uh, I love that, man. We might need some playlists for that. Like, you know, tunes suitable for so the golf funny. course. Oh, tunes awesome. for the golf course, dude. Let's talk about, let's talk about tunes that are just, oh, just bringing such a fantastic vibe. I, love this song dude i love this song mk brand new track called chemical let's give this one a spin Oh, dude, this is going to be our point of contention here. I actually was not that big of a fan of this track. No! <laughs> I, I wasn't quite sure what he... Where, I could see kind of where he was going with this MK. I, I really did, but I, I just feel like it, it lacks some originality here. And it just... I, I don't know. It, it seemed like there were some pieces missing from this, you know? Like, I, I was honestly expecting quite a lot, and I really liked the beginning part of it, but it just didn't capture my interest too much, mm. you know? I feel like this is such a fantastic change-up from MK. You know what I mean? Like, this song is so perfect for the summer. This is going to be one of the top songs played in every house and tech house set, especially during the daytime, Oh, especially ooh. at pool parties. This is going to be a monster of a track, man. And I really think MK... <laughs> I don't know. I think I'm going to disagree with you here. Okay, here we go. We're going to see who's right. I actually don't think this will be as big of a hit as you're saying, Samir. I, I don't think it will be. I really don't. So we will have to see. At the end of the summer, champions will we'll have, have to see. see. Let us know because I actually don't think... I think this is going to underperform. Like, I think it's going to get some plays. Wow. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's going to underperform. I really think this is a track that will underperform for MK. Dude, if this was a cryptocurrency, I'd be all in on this, baby. To the moon. Let's go, baby. Diamond oh, hands get prepared to, to lose your moon. money. <laughs> Dude, let's talk about a duo that never lets you lose your money. All right? We're talking oh. about Matroda and yes. Blue Claire. <laughs> Brand new track called <laughs> Disco Tool. Let's take a listen. Dude, 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 dude. Okay, um... This has got to be one of my favorite collaborations of this year. In fact, it might be my favorite collaboration of the year. The reason yes. why 
is that it, it was just, you could just tell that they worked so closely as a team on this that it cultivated the best of both of their unique, and they do have unique individual sounds, but created something entirely new together, right? It, it's like you've got two, you know, very good bakers and they just came together and created a fantastic cake, right? This, I would eat this cake all day, all right? Matroda and Blue Claire in the kitchen baking up some amazing cakes there. I'm a little bit hungry. I think that's why I went with the I uh, could tell. Dude, you haven't had dinner yet. Yeah. But, but you know what, man? Like, I think the thing I appreciate the most about this is that it, it, the disco beginning just is just so groovy and it just gets you moving. It gets you in the vibe. And then that switch up is just fantastic. And that's so indicative of both Matroda and Blue Claire's style that I, I think they were just a match made in heaven when coming into this and deciding to do a track like this. Like, I, I, But they did it in a way that wasn't entirely jarring. Like, It kind of flowed and was cohesive mm. and made sense. Dude, I'm loving this passion right now. I, I really am. My heart is so full to hear you just so into a song like this, man, because... I'm right there with you, man. Like, yeah. like you said, Matroda and Blue Claire. I don't want to, you know, completely rehash everything that you said because you hit all the good points. But Matroda, Blue Claire, both have very distinctive sounds. They came together for a powerhouse of a track, and I think for some people they may find it jarring. Actually, the way that it kind of switches into Blue Claire's sound, like on the drop. However, we have to remember that this is yes, it's a track release, but it is a tool. It's a DJ tool as well. I feel like this is just one of those songs that is meant to be experienced live and i yes, think that yes. both of these artists are just so just so above the game right now like their their sounds are so well defined just imagine like john travolta and saturday night fever just start <laughs> shuffling that's what we're talking about here man you know it's just so infectious it's so infectious it is They're absolutely infectious you know man but i tell you dude this was great chatting and chopping up about the new music because these were some solid solid tracks so just shout out to everyone else that was releasing music over the past week and we didn't get around to it but there's a lot of it so i don't want to hold on for too much longer but edm champions we have a fantastic conversation for you edm champions of the globe it is our absolute pleasure to welcome back onto the show rachel narazniak and she is the managing editor of dancing astronaut and if you don't know dancing astronaut i'm sorry you might not be considered edm champion because everybody knows this fantastic pervasive media outlet so rachel thank you so much for joining us again i mean it's been, what is it, two years since we've talked to you? Is it that long now? I think so. Well, first of all, hey, guys, it's great to be back. Thank you so much for having me again. I, I think it has been, yeah. I think it was September of 2019. And I mean, you know, the COVID pandemic really throws off my sense of time, but it's good to be back. And it's amazing to see what you've accomplished in the time since. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. We were just chatting off there. I mean, it's nearly four years now, I think you've been at DA. Yeah, uh, come July 7th, actually, it's going to be four years. So wow. I, I like to joke that Dancing Astronaut is my second bachelor's degree. So <laughs> <laughs> I got a new BA and DA. I love that. New oh, BA that's and awesome. DA. There you go. That's very catchy. I mean, so, so what's been <laughs> what, what's been going on? Like, what have you been up to since we last chatted? I mean, obviously, we've had the pandemic going on. But, you know, maybe tell us a little bit more about what you've been working on and what DA has been working on as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, recently, actually a, a year ago, as of May, I stepped into my role as managing editor for DA. So what that came with, um, you know, the last time that we spoke, I was a senior editor slash writer. So right. right now I'm working with our editor in chief and our social media managing editor to really shape the content vision and content direction for DA. So it's a lot more hands-on in that respect. And we're really trying to develop original content series that, you know, key into some of the paradigm shifts that are present in the ever-changing industry and just working with our team of writers in a little bit more of a leadership position. So it's it's been great to, you know, see the brand change over the years and to be now a catalyst of that change. Your time with Dancing Astronaut, I'm sure you've just seen so much tremendous growth for the platform itself, but then of course our dance music scene just in general, especially here in the U.S., and that's why we're so pumped up to be talking to you again, because 
look, about two years has gone by since we last spoke, and I'm sure there's been a lot of developments that, I'm, that I cannot wait to get into. Rachel, let me ask you something, because I know you're such a big fan of Zed, right? Yes. <laughs> when are you going to go see Zed next? Like, when is your next Zed set? Oh my gosh, you picked a great time to ask me. I am actually <laughs> seeing Zed next Saturday. I believe it is the 29th. I'm, oh. Maybe I'm mistaken with that date. It was going to be my uh, my first show back actually Ooh. so quite serendipitously that is wow that's beautiful dude that's yeah. how you know the stars are aligning my friend events are opening back up rachel narozniak mm-hmm. is about to hit up her next zed show first show back after what i mean it must be like almost a year and a half without any shows so this is a this is a momentous occasion i'm really pumped up for you rachel let's step right into it we got some news and some culture topics to talk about with you you already know the drill got some topics some really, really interesting stuff happening right now in, in dance music. And something that really, really popped to Alec and I was the fact that the city of Stockholm is naming an arena after the late and great Avicii. So this is, this is huge, huge news. I mean, obviously, Avicii being you know, the icon that he was and still continues to be in the dance music scene. And not only that, his unfortunate passing will forever be memorialized in the naming of this uh, arena in in Stockholm. And you know what, Rachel, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like we have never, ever seen a dance music artist have an arena named after them. So I feel like this is also kind of another momentous uh, uh, occasion right here, right? Like, I, I feel like we don't have like a Daft Punk arena or like a Swedish House Mafia arena, but now we have an Avicii arena. What did you think about this news coming out of Stockholm? Yeah, I thought this was really interesting. I thought, you know, akin to what you just said, this is kind of unprecedented in terms of the continuous honoring that we've seen. And it doesn't necessarily surprise me because he left such an indelible mark. And anybody who's been following the scene, you know, I would say probably within the past five to 10 years can attest to that. But just the enduring effort to really focalize his name and underscore, you know, all that he did, not just on a musical level, but on a personal level for so many people whose, you know, lives were touched by his music. It's really unprecedented. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's appropriate. And also too, I don't know, I was just struck by how in line this is because, you know, this is kind of built as um, a hub for sharing ideas. And I think it was built as a meeting place for events that really focus on mental health. So mm. just to see the, you know, the Tim Bergley Foundation actually put action to that and not just make this a naming kind of thing, I think is really admirable. And it's just a continuation of his legacy. Absolutely. I mean, you know, just in general, the Tim Bergley Foundation, I mean, these, the, this foundation has just been nonstop at the forefront of pushing the conversation of mental health awareness uh, ever since Avicii's passing. And it's great to see that, you know, their mission is still continuing to be pushed forward and pushed forward. L- let me ask you, Rachel, I mean, just kind of in general, right? How do we how do we open up the conversation of mental health in the dance music scene more? How do we how do we, you know, make sure that that conversation continues to happen and that it continues to stay alive? I think that's a great question. I think it's something that the scene at large is really trying to find an answer to because you know unfortunately whenever we see a musician pass whether it's in the dance space or in another genres area you know there's obviously quite a vehement reaction on social platforms largely twitter and there's the clear shared sense that something needs to be done beyond Mm. just the reactions when these kinds of tragic events occur but i think that you know the industry is still grappling with what the best solution is to keep mental health and potential interventions at the forefront. I don't I don't think we have an answer right now, but I think that it's important to recognize the Tim Bergling Foundation as, mm. you know, really one of the central groups that's very frontally working to help devise an answer through, you know, something like this where you have a meeting place for, you know, people in Sweden to convene for mental health focused events. So I think it's gonna be it's something we're we're gonna continue to work towards. I don't know if we have an answer right now. Mm. Yeah, I think this is I, I agree with you. I think this is almost uh, one of the first initial steps that needs to be taken um you know when we we seem to be in the still in the awareness building stage you know there's lots of uh online platforms you know for people to connect and people just starting to now have these conversations more openly but i still think you know that this is like step 1a is now okay since we're having these conversations and topics done online now we need to have an actual central meeting point for people to come and connect in person so i think 
this is a, a very, very good move um, and something I hope that can be replicated in other markets as well. Um, I, I know in the North American market as well, this would be really something that'd be quite large. I, I think what would be really interesting to see, um, and Rachel, I think that you might have some good insight into this as well, is the incorporation of these, uh, you know, mental health focus meeting places at festivals and things like that too. So not just having, um, you know, it could be within that arena too, but something that goes on more uh, to the events that people attend. Do, do you know if, you know, this arena has any type of plans in the future to host potentially like festivals and things alongside a mental health focus event, or is this kind of purely a, a mental health focused event place? Me personally, I'm not sure. I have not heard of anything distinctive in that respect regarding the future programming. I would imagine that that's something that they could potentially explore in the future. And it's mm. probably something that's on their whiteboard, so to speak, of planning. But, you know, I like what you said about this being kind of the 1A step, because I think it's important to remember that the paradigm shift regarding mental health in the music industry, it's still very new. I think mm. that we really only had this come into play within, you know, maybe the past two to three years where the sense that more musicians were speaking out about the deleterious, uh, you know, mental health impacts of touring, just the rigorous schedules and the competitive nature of this industry, it's still fairly new. And so, you know, something else, if this venue maybe is not considering that type of programming, we saw with the advent of live streaming that there's a lot of digital opportunity out there. So if there's mm. not an in-person opportunity yet for meeting and maybe having mental health related conversations at a festival, like you mentioned, Alec, or elsewhere, you know, maybe the maybe there's the potential for a digital forum. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a huge opportunity. It's funny that you bring this up because for probably, I'd say, Samir, like the last couple of months, this has just been a, a primary mm. uh, focal point uh, for us. It's really what will the conversions of real life events and, and virtual events look like and how will that kind of offer EDM consumers as well as artists different affordances. And I think mental health is going to be a very interesting component of the virtual space as well. And that's something we haven't talked about too much. And I'm just a fundamental believer of having physical meeting places. And that's why I really like this. You know, this is definitely not cheap to put together. You know, it, it's not going to serve absolutely everybody, but there's just something about having a physical, you know, stomping ground where all people can come together from all different parts of the globe with different experiences to, to converse and talk about their mental health. There's just something that is quite powerful about that. And I think when you combine that with with some virtual type of events, I think it's going to be really good for the future. Absolutely. Keep that conversation alive. But Rachel, let's talk about, let's talk about organizations that are making moves. Okay. What is Insomniac up to right now on the East coast? <laughs> what is going on? Like just, just acquisition after acquisition. I'm sure you can speak more to this. Tell us what Insomniac is doing to cement themselves on the East coast of the U S. Well, I think that you're posing me a question that I think a lot of people would like to know, and I don't, have the answer fully to it and nobody aside from Bertella and Somniac at large really do because you know they've made a lot of moves over the past year plus counting following the establishment of you know Insomniac East in in November of 2020 around that time frame mm -hmm. and everybody's been kind of watching Insomniac to see what the next move is going to be you know if I look back at last year when the revelation of Insomniac East came to light, which seemed to happen a little bit off the radar, you know, they yeah. established the Twitter account Insomniac East. And I think everybody in the, um, the news journalism space within dance music was pretty keyed into this because we recognized that this was going to be something pretty momentous, given that, you know, Insomniac really might as well be called Insomniac west right <laughs> because everything for You're the most wrong. part is on the west coast right like we know that edc orlando has been the bread and butter following the retirement of edc new yep. york in around 2017 and we never really got a replacement for that so when that came about you know i think there was a lot going on at the time there was uh, obviously everything with the covid19 evolution so i feel like this news just from my perspective that insomniac east was a definitive branch established to make moves on the East Coast kind of slipped through the cracks a little bit. Hmm. But, you know, they've really, I think that Insomniac has really made its Insomniac East intention clear in at least the past year that they were really intent on expanding their presence in the Floridian 
festival market, or, mm-hmm. well, maybe not the festival market, but at least the events market. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you look back to July of 2019, you could kind of see that coming a little bit because that was when Insomniac acquired the ownership stake of Club Space's Space Park. So mm. following all of the, you know, abduction is a great example, just following the ramping up of their presence in the Floridian music market. I think everybody now is wondering what comes next. And that's something that we don't have the answer for. I mean, there are a couple of different avenues I think that they could take, you know, in November of 2020, Insomniac acquired Soundcheck and Echo Siege through the acquisition of Club Glow, mm-hmm. which was I think this was a bombshell for the East Coast. You know, I spent some time in D.C. and Echo Sage and Soundcheck. Those really like the hearts of the, you know, mainstream programming there in the D.C. DMV area. No doubt. So for them to take that over is huge. And I think the question now becomes, you know, is it possible that Insomniac will maybe enhance Moonrise and Preakness Infield Fest, which has typically been operated by Club Glow? You know, will they reinstate EDC New York or will they dream up some new festival altogether? You know, earlier, I want to say maybe six months or so ago, there were rumors in the industry that Insomniac was setting its sights on a new festival in Miami. And we all know that that would be something of a direct competitor to Ultra. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was never confirmed. But where there's smoke, there's usually some type of fire. So I wouldn't (laughs) be surprised if as the COVID-19 pandemic and its effects continue to dissipate and life returns to a little bit more of a normal state, we see some moves potentially in the New York music market, maybe that Miami festival. It's all very indeterminate right now, though. Yeah. That's 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 really interesting. And, and just to, to backtrack a bit before we continue this line of thought, do you, do you think the fact that things were kept a little bit quiet when launching Insomniac East, do you think that was a, a strategy decision? You know, because I'm wondering why this was kind of kept a little bit below the radar, except for people that were more in the know, people who work in the industry. Because I feel like we kind of operate a bit in the bubble, right? But I feel like the the everyday kind of EDM consumer or fan may not have been too aware of all these moves going on. Do, do you feel like they're, they're kind of doing this as a strategic decision, perhaps to quietly penetrate these markets and then have a lot of fantastic marketing and hype up material when they're ready to to go? Great question. I think that maybe it wasn't so much strategic as it was reactionary, right? Because Mm. when you have all of these different um, COVID-19 restrictions in terms of where you can host events, dates being constantly in flux over the past year and counting, how strategic can you really be after a certain Mm. point? It's probably you're being a little bit more reactionary and trying to host events Mm -hmm. and schedule your initial programming under this new branch to the extent possible, where possible. Mm. You know, I was thinking that When I initially saw Insomniac East announced via Twitter and touting a big announcement, I thought EDC New York was going to be coming back. (laughs) Me too. That's That's exactly what I thought. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, as I thought about it, I think, I think for some, were you disappointed when you learned that it wasn't EDC New York? That wasn't the announcement? Yeah, I I certainly was because Alec, have you been to EDC New York before? I have, yes. Yeah. Uh, but I went when it was at MetLife, so yeah, I had the best same. experience. <laughs> same, same. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't go to the City Field one. And uh, yeah, I was really amped up. You know, maybe EDC New York was coming back. At that time, I was still living on the East Coast. And I was like, oh, yes, let's go. Well, congratulations on your move to Thank you know, you so much. The, uh, the coast where Insomniac is really doing <laughs> yes, yes. good programming. Insomniac West over here. Let's go. I was interested to hear your reaction, both of you, to that, because I think Insomniac knew that a lot of people thought that EDC New York's restoration was the first place everybody was mentally jumping to conclusions when that announcement came out. And I think that, you know, maybe that potentially would have been the announcement. But you have to remember that New York State was one of the most, uh, you know, one of the states with the most stringent COVID-19 restrictions. Mm, So mm -hmm. if you think about it, if that was even on the Insomniac East table, it probably wasn't on New York's table. You can't really negotiate dates amid all of the turmoil induced by COVID-19. So that's where my um, my stance that maybe this was reactionary in terms of how Insomniac and East initially took form comes from. That's a really good point. Um, I, I think reactionary is definitely a really interesting way to put it. What I'm wondering is what is going to be their next acquisition, right? So we've kind of already mm. talked about uh, space in Miami, right? We just talked about Club Glow in the DMV area. I'm wondering if they're trying to set their sights on acquiring another event promoter, possibly in New York. Like, Think about it this way, right? I mean, for all my New York City people out there, 
what if Insomniac acquired made events in New York? Mm. Like how nuts would that be? Yeah, that would be absolutely huge, especially with, you know, Izu being pretty much, I, I mean, Made kind of has a little bit of a monopoly with the idea right, of yeah. EDC New York on the New York festival scene with Izu really being pretty much unparalleled in terms of scale and right. electronic focus in that area. So that would be huge. Uh, yeah, I just wonder, is there an incentive there then for them to become acquired, right? Like, I, I wonder if the incentive would be there for them to be acquired by an insomniac because that, that would be a, that'd be a very important business decision for them to make because they've got such a chokehold on the market exactly. right there, you know? And, but then again, I can also see insomniac just coming in and, and, and doing a competitor just as the rumors might have been in, in Miami. Right. And so I, I think just as we were talking about stringent things for New York, we all know, and uh, you know, I've heard just the saga of ultra Miami, right. With <laughs> how they go back and forth with the commission there. So I'm, wondering is Miami even really open to having another major uh you know festival promoter coming in and uh, putting on another show and 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 if not what I can see happening or maybe it won't happen but what I could see happening is maybe insomnia putting on smaller events smaller size events just especially now with the new noise regulations right that's going on in, in downtown maybe it's going to be outside of Miami mm -hmm. uh, or maybe it will be focusing more on uh, smaller events more akin to maybe a Miami music week or something like that. Yeah, I think that either is possible. I think, though, it, you know, to speak to the point of acquisitions, which I thought was a really interesting angle to think about how Insomniac might make their next move. I think one thing we want to keep at the forefront of our minds is that we don't want Insomniac to have a monopoly on the music market. Right. So right. having too many acquisitions, you know, I, to go back to the main event point, I don't know that I would want to see that happen because. Then you've got a promoter, an events promotion company with such a large footprint. You know, it's healthy to have the competition. And I think then you get a little bit more of a variety of events. So I, I think right now, to answer your question, Alec, it's everything is up in the air. I'm interested to see what happens. But I think that Insomniac is ultimately always looking at the bigger picture. So if they start with a couple of one-off events or limited event series, you know, such as something pertinent to Miami Music Week, I'm sure that later down the line, that's just really, you know, a crowd test for probably something bigger. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good point. And, and speaking to the monopoly too, that that's even a better point. We don't want to see more of that. Although in some that would kind of be going in the footsteps of their corporate daddy's live nation. There. So uh, yeah. I, I don't think the apple would fall too far from the tree if they decided to try making monopoly on <laughs> on the scene in some way. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, Rachel, that's such a great point about like we don't want one event promoter to kind of run the whole country right i mean could you kind of imagine like the u.s government like stepping in and be like insomniac has a has a a stronghold <laughs> on, on the rave monopoly like what like what if that went to like i don't know the supreme court or some shit i don't know i'm just i'm just uh, yeah, conjecturing over here that. dude i don't know dude like what what if what if what if what if, what if jo like joe biden had to like get on the state of the union address and be like we're we're cracking down on insomniac like just just imagine like what i mean 2020 is already 2021 has already been a really crazy year like what if that happened i just want to see a dj become uh president and then that might happen i mean that you can't rule sick. it out now that would be sick honestly <laughs> at, at, the, at the you know at the, his address he's spitted some tunes beforehand dude right on like if we could get carl cox <laughs> in the white house let's go let's go well, he's oh, British, yes. so that's not oh, gonna yes. happen unfortunately <laughs> what's okay. the american djs that would be able to see just thinking about it now cascade 2024 let's go let's go baby <laughs> that campaign song though <laughs> let's right. go let's go uh, guys rachel one thing that i love is uh you know you're on the show with us and you're able to provide us with some really really interesting interesting insight that alec and i we may not be privy to you know and that's why we always love to pose this question to our special guests right and the question is are there any trends in the edm scene that like us as consumers may not be aware of and is it like what should we be looking out for as the edm scene continues to grow yeah, and this is this is a great question. You're making me think with this one because I, you <laughs> know, <our> <laughs> I am <laughs> I am not only obviously working on the editorial side, but I am also a consumer myself. So, you know, you get a different dual perspective in that way. And I think that if I think about it from both of those perspectives, I think the answer would be thinking about how we perceive the album and dance music. You know, I've, everybody has really been keyed into what Skrillex has been doing of late, and when we were looking at Dancing Astronaut, it's Skrillex's recent bio on Spotify. 
you know, there's a line that states that Skrillex has been hard at work with a body of music over the past, made over the past three years mm -hmm. that will quote, continue to shift the landscape of music, unquote. And, you know, we've seen two singles from Skrillex so far and everybody's kind of wondering what his next step is going to be because he mentioned two albums at one point and yet, you know, his Spotify bio is gesturing to this massive body of work and, Everybody's kind of wondering, you know, what form this will take. And I think that the shift that the bio is referring to is not necessarily going to manifest in, you know, a technical stylistic manner, but really in a format perspective, hmm. you know, is it possible that we might get some kind of massive compilation album or mixtape from him that really isn't, you know, stitched together with any sort of conceptual thread, maybe as some of the other um, genre driven projects that we've seen from other artists are, you know, I think that, the dance scene specifically is trending towards less conceptually driven, cohesive albums and more amorphous collections of track listings. Totally. And I think though, you know, maybe um, this is just my perspective of what I've observed. Maybe I'm off base. I think that we need to see some projects come out from some major artists before we can really get some insight onto whether there's any merit to what I'm saying. But, you know, whatever Skrillex does is going to give some insight as to whether this, um, is something with any validity. You know, I think that another good example is, of course, Zed. You know, we've been waiting for Zed's True Colors follow-up for about six years now. And, right. you know, Zed was very married to the concept album on True Colors, which is a bona fide concept album from the way that it was put together on the technical end to the way that it was marketed. So the question now is, you know, is he going to follow a traditional kind of album where everything is very cohesive? Or is this going to be more of a collection of tracks that, you know, are meshed together just under the album title head maybe another person to gesture to well a group of people to gesture to is swedish house mafia and you know will we ever see an extended body of work for them again i don't know <laughs> but you know i'm tired of ideas. waiting i'm not gonna lie i'm tired <laughs> yeah. of waiting for this I, i'm not holding my breath I, i'm tired of it they've been, <laughs> they've been fucking us around for too long okay like i'm done <laughs> I know. And we could spend a whole episode talking about that. But when you think about what I'm saying from, you know, the album format, Absolutely. maybe the way that the album is conceptually changing in dance music, they've presumably been working on things. We've seen some ideas, you know, what might they have? Is it all going to fit together in this cohesive album format as we've known it? I think that we're really trending towards, you know, less finished, refined products and more collections. Hmm. Okay, and I can ask you, like, because I think you might be onto something there. So, why do you think that is? I think it's because, you know, there's a lot of different inspirations, and not, you know, I've heard a lot of DJs and producers say that they get this inspiration and it translates to this great track. You have to keep in mind that, you know, these inspirations come in often isolated moments. So, mm. to kind of force them together into an album, which is, you know, extended by design, it, it doesn't always work with the mm. visions for these individual tracks. And I think that that is part of the reason why the standalone signal format yeah. is so popular within dance music, because, you know, within dance music, there's the pressure to have so many different sounds that stand out, not only from what you've done and what you are doing, but what from what other people have done. And for that perspective, you know, the single is a better format. I think that electronic in general sometimes doesn't lend itself so well to the album format just by nature of what it is. That is such a good point uh, because I've, I've also thought about this quite a bit as well. And I think that like this, this demand from consumers and also just like the way that dance music is, it's constantly evolving. So being mm -hmm. able to put together 10, 12, 14 tracks that all conceptually and stylistically sound the same, I think is, is very difficult because I feel like it, 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 there's a way of thinking in dance music when it comes to producing music that is just not akin to kind of putting out tracks that all can mesh together even though they're not exactly the same. So the concept of an album, I think, for dance music at least, is definitely is definitely sort of going away. And back to your point about the compilations. Alec, I mean, we just talked to Blake Coppelson from Proximity. And Blake mm. and, and Proximity are putting out, what was it, like a, a 24 track compilation or something like that? Or, I, yeah, I can't remember. Like 24 different artists. Yeah. Exactly. Something insane like that. So, yeah, I'm well, totally. You see up. people like Zed's Dead, right? With the We yes. Are Dead Beats volumes, yeah. you know? Exactly. Um, and I think that's kind of the other point, too, is leaning more towards the compilations, especially as. Uh, these artists start establishing their own independent record labels. Right. Um, you know, but then beyond that too, the idea of the amount of collaborations 
then that would go on. Even in people's albums that they're releasing today, I feel like you're just seeing an uptick in the amount of collaborations that are going on. Um, and the compilation, as well as just massive track listings, as you were saying, Rachel, it just lends itself more to that collaborative process. And there might not be a, a universal theme that's tied to, you know, between them. Um, you know, I, I even can see it going towards where artists are putting in multiple different types of genres in you know, their uh, compilations or track listings. I know Proximity is is doing that with their upcoming uh, compilation. You know, Blake was telling us, you know, he's got some mid-tempo in there, it's yep. the melodic bass. There's a lot of different things with that. But the, the one thing I, I, I do have to say, though, is is this change necessarily a good thing for the scene? I'm not really for it. Dude, you miss sitting in your leather easy chair, having a nice glass of whiskey. <laughs> as, maybe I'm you know, an old man. As the fireplace is on the side. Man. Yeah, Rachel, what, what are your thoughts here? I mean, do you think this is a do you think this is a good thing? Well, I mean, I, I do think it's worth noting that this is not uh, something that's wholly happening, sweeping the dance space. Before I yeah. answer that, because you know, you look at somebody like Zoo, yeah. Dreamland 2021. That's mm -hmm. a concept album. The way and it's so cohesively stitched. Right, SG Lewis's times, very conceptually Great driven. Album. So it's worth just mentioning that, you know, this doesn't apply to everybody. And I think that we're going to see a little bit more of artists distinguish themselves by how they choose to, you know, follow the traditional album format or maybe abandon it and go a little bit more amorphous in terms of like the collection styling. But to answer your question, I mean, no, I don't think it's a good thing because I think that a lot of the artists are just pumping out music to stay relevant yeah. and, mm. you know, have their names in the New Music Friday playlists on Spotify and other streaming platforms because they see other peers doing the same thing. Yep. So when everybody is running at the same pace, you know, there's the pressure for you to keep pace with that. And the result is, I think that this is partly what's contributing to the mental health issues and, you know, the general sense of exhaustion mm. that we're seeing. So it brings us right back to that. So I don't know. I think, you know, there's some merit in waiting for a project. Yep. rather than having you know rather than seeing new music maybe at least once a month twice a month i mean it, the prolific output i think is more to the detriment sometimes than it is to the benefit of the artists and the listeners alike agreed absolutely wow. agreed I mean, and, you, and i think what's especially made it uh worse too is just uh you know the rise of tiktok you know, and, yeah. and we've talked to uh, this uh, fantastic uh, uh, vocalist and songwriter, Bella Renee, uh, not too long ago. And she was just telling us about how it's very frustrating because a lot of artists now in order to get big, you know, they're focusing on just making something trend on TikTok. But the, the problem with that is while, you, yes, you get awareness out there, great branding, you, people can really get in touch with your new tunes, the speed of consumption is just so high that people are already moving on to the next thing. So it puts artists, I think, in a bit of a catch-22 position there because they can work on a project for a very long time, be really excited to put it out, but people are just going to blow through it. <laughs> and then it's kind of like, you know, they're left stuck there, but they also don't want to be working too prolifically for mental health reasons or just for creative reasons too. They want to take more of their time on it. Um, and I think that's also why we've seen things like Slap House become really quite popular uh, because it seems like they could just stitch that together and just like put it out for the world to <laughs> Alec see. Loves his Not slap caring house. about who they're remixing. <laughs> Dude, you, you love that shit. Are, are you, uh, who are you referring to, Alec? I'm wondering who, who you're referring to right now, man. I, I don't know. I'm not going to call out names, uh -huh. but they already know who they are. That's you know, right. It begins with a V. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, absolutely. Absolutely. Rachel, let's kind of let's walk the conversation back a little bit, right? So you've been with mm -hmm. Dancing Astronaut for four years now. In July, it's going to be four years. And in this time, I'm sure you've, you've kind of learned a lot about getting into dance music publications and what makes... Uh, a writer for dance music publications, a good one. So do you have any tips for anybody who would like to start writing for dance music publications and how they can really stand out in their style? Yeah, absolutely. I would say, you know, I think that this is going to be advice that's most helpful for people who are maybe thinking about interviewing with an outlet. You know, having a diverse palette, I think, is really important because I've gotten on the phone, you know, in this four-year span so many times with potential hires to you know, we always ask them, what are you listening to right now? Who are mm -hmm. your favorites? Because we want to get a sense of who they are as a listener 
because that informs ultimately what you're going to do on the writing end. You know, you're not just writing the content that's the biggest release from the headliners that we always see on the festivals where it's kind of compulsory. You have to cover that. But it's also going to, you know, influence the kinds of acts that you're seeking out to write on your own volition for the site. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I get a lot of people who they'll get on the phone and they'll tell me, oh, I love the chain smokers, Armin Van Buren, David Guetta. And listen, my favorite DJ is Zed. So I, you know, <laughs> I'm not shading anybody who says this, but I think that it's really important to have a diverse talent and to make that known whenever you're speaking with a potential, you know, outlet that might be hiring you because, you know, it's safe to assume that most people now in the dance music industry like these mainstream acts. They are right. constantly on the festival lineups for a reason. And so by citing them, you're not really telling an interviewer anything unique about, you know, your sonic interests, what catches your ear, or really your ability to spot some ascendant acts that might be worth highlighting to help give you and your outlet, you know, that kind of curatorial edge. So some good advice I would impart is that if you're going to go into an interview situation or if you're trying to make yourself stand out, I think it's really good to maybe focus on, you know, one or two mainstream acts that you like, but also focus on some of the up and coming artists. You know, if you're ever asked that question, think about who is new on your radar, who somebody might not know about, because you're going to pique their interest by mm -hmm. making that known. And think also too about, you know, some of the non-dance artists from whom you really derive inspiration or who keep you moving and grooving, you know, just by doing that simple thing, you immediately distinguish yourself from everybody else because everybody else's default answer is going to be those mainstream headliners. So that's something I don't think people really realize or think about when they're painting a portrait of who they are as a potential mm. writer. I think that like that is such sound advice, right? I mean, what is at the core essence of our scene, right? It's the music, right? It's, it's about all this music that's out there. And if you want to be an effective writer or somebody who talks about what's going on in the scene, you got to listen to the music and you got to keep yeah. your, your, your genres that you, that you ingest, you know, just very wide and, and a wide range of them. So I love that. And let, let me ask you, Rachel, like, could you tell us a little bit more about your background? Like, how did you find yourself at Dancing Astronaut? Like, I know we talked about it uh, on episode 31, but let's give a little refresher about how you started your career with Dancing Astronaut. Yeah, absolutely. So I like to say that I kind of stumbled into dance music journalism. It was mm -hmm. never really something I was specifically seeking to do. Um, you know, I have a background in English, so I was doing a lot of writing at the time just for my creative writing courses at my university, you know, just some general freelance writing assignments. I wrote for our school newspaper, the Daily Targum. So I was doing a lot of writing and I liked dance music. And I happened to share a piece that I had written with a philanthropic focus for a creative writing course that was centered on Marshmallow. Mm. In the 2015 to 2016 span, where he was really peaking in his prominence. And it caught the attention of a dance music outlet that was really pretty small. So I went and started over there and then eventually applied to DA. But, you know, it kind of gets into another tip that I would suggest. It's like, you know, I didn't start writing dance music um, news or track posts at Dancing Astronaut. I had a history of writing where I was able to produce some writing samples. So I think, you know, whether you want to write for a dance music publication or another music outlet, and that's your clear goal. Just make sure you're writing something or somewhere. There's always a place that you can get your start. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Just keep those uh, writing skills uh, sharp. Ladies and gentlemen, EDM champions of the globe, welcome to the last section of this episode and probably the epitome of the Beyond the Beats experience. It is, of course, the artist we're watching section where we will pick and put onto your radar some underground talent people who have just been crushing it, but we believe deserve a bit more of a spotlight and a platform. Samir, whose turn is it to go first? Dude, I feel like I went first last time. So, Alec, I would love to hear who you got for oh. us this week, man. Give it to oh, me. Let's I go. Do. I Let's do. Go. But, but, all right, Samir, Rachel, I need you to do me a favor real quick, okay? Let's do it. I'm going to need you. I'm going to need you to close your eyes. Oh, okay? shocker. I'm going to need you to close your eyes. It's, I, I feel like... <laughs> <laughs> Every episode. No, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Go on. But it just it just helps with the imagination, right? So if you don't have to, all right, you know what, Smith, don't close your fucking eyes. You know what? Never mind. Rachel, you can you can. I know that you're you're good for it, but Samir, I'm tired of your shit. I don't close your eyes. Okay. So everybody but Samir, close their eyes. And I want you to imagine it is the year 2068. Okay. Elon Musk has successfully taken us to Mars. We've already traveled there. He's taken us in his big spaceship and we're all there in Mars. So picture that beautiful, desolate planet. 
we're just starting to terraform everything that's going on on Mars. Okay. You see some buildings starting to pop up. We've got jetpack propulsion going on. So imagine that you go and you've bought one of these neat little Tesla uh, jetpacks. Okay. Little green energy power jetpacks. And you've decided to go on a little trip into the stratosphere around Mars because you could do that because it's Mars, it's the future, right? Nice. So you go in there and you've got to have your favorite tune on, right? You've got to have some tunes on in there. Bose have sponsored this astronaut suit that you're wearing. So you've got just impeccable surround sound going on. And as you can hear kind of building in the background, you've got some future-based trap type of compulsion here, but then, oh no, you leave the system and you start spiraling out of control. But in a weird way, it's towards the beat. So you hear the boom, boom, boom of the bass going on in the back. It's building up, it's gonna hit its crescendo. Ladies and gentlemen, EDM champions, welcome to the sounds of Kozar as you are tumbling out of Mars and to another planet with his track called Skydive. I think you need to offer Alec a job at Dancing Astronaut because that was wild. What are your thoughts here on this track? Yeah. Do you, are you free for a quick phone interview <laughs> after this? Just wondering. <laughs> to be fair, people have asked me. These are totally off the cuff, by the way. That's why I sometimes a little ramble up. Like, <laughs> the way his mind thinks, man. One. I, I really didn't know where I was going with that one. But I'm glad. I hope I pitched the soundscape perfectly. But what did you think of the song? Well, I think that you certainly went there with your description. And I'll have you know that my eyes were closed. And you know what? <gasps> that sense. took me to that took me to 2012. It gave me a little bit of a flume Ooh, kind yeah. of invocation. Nice. Certainly at the breakdowns, I felt like I was kind of back to you know flume deluxe edition kind of vibes with that. So it's futuristic. I see exactly what you're saying, but it also has a little bit of the familiar for you know anybody who's been following electronic music for that that long. You know who was listening to that music in 2012? Dude, this is such a fantastic song. We were texting about this, you know, right before we're about to record the pod with our good friend Rachel. And dude, I just got to say those vocal chops are crazy, crazy. Rachel Narazniak from Dancing Astronaut. It's your turn. You're up on the decks. Who do you got for us? Who are you spinning? Oh, well, I feel like my description is not going to follow Alex. <laughs> Alex, you knocked that out of the park. But today I bring you somebody who is really just as diverse, you know, as Alex picked. He's really at the intersection of dubstep, future bass, house, melodic bass, a little bit of trap. So he is beautifully and diversely all over the map. And he goes by the name Swole Sauce. So what I have for you today is his first original of 2021, and it's been succeeded by about five or six originals in the time since. So he's really working at such a prolific pace. But today, it's something that's really R.L. Grime evocative, and it's just melodic, and, it, and just it's a rush through your speakers. It's called I Can Feel.
my my heart stopped for a second when I was listening to this. This is fucking awesome, and not just because of the name Swalsort. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love the name. When you first look at the name, you're like, oh, maybe it's gonna be like a Salvatore Gennacci type of character, right? But I think, but what I love, <laughs> it's the dying over there. I wish we had the video on it. But um, <laughs> but what I really love about this though is that clearly it's someone who's playful. You know, they mm. they may not take themselves too seriously but they take the work seriously and i think you can really tell just by the quality of the production in this and you said it perfectly it truly is the intersection of dubstep melodic bass it's some you know house elements perhaps i listened to some other discography and you can really tell that in other tunes that he has as well as well as feature bass and just what a fantastic pick i mean rachel you just knocked out the part with that pick dude i gotta say this is awesome and one thing i just love right is like you know Rachel, you're over here saying like dubstep, melodic bass, uh, house, future bass, right? But in the end, it's just such a beautiful hybridization of all these genres where it leaves you feeling a bit confused about what you just listened to, but in a fantastic, fantastic way. Sometimes music is just not meant to be kind of, you know, categorized so easily. And I think Swole Sauce really put something together beautifully here with this track, I Can Feel. And it leaves us wondering, what did I just listen to? I need more of that. This is the kind of sound that I need. So this is a great pick. I love it. Absolutely, Thank man. You. Oh, Rachel, great job with that one. Truly an awesome artist to add to our now growing artists we're watching list. I mean, champions, if you want to check out all the people that we had mentioned before, definitely head over to the show notes. We've got the links to the playlist there. But Samir... It's your turn, my friend. We didn't forget about you. Who have you got? I, I'm very excited for this one. Who have you got? Dude, Alec, Rachel, EDM champions of the globe. I know I've been throwing a lot of chilled out tunes at everybody. I know that, you know, and I'm feeling particularly chill. As Alec has said, I, you know, I just moved down to San Diego. Big news. I just put my California plates on my car. So, you know. Thank God, about time. So, you know that that Mr. shit. Mr. Crunchwrap Supreme over here. That shit is official now, right? So, I just had a fantastic week and a fantastic weekend, you know. And I just needed something to bring the energy. And you guys know that I've been on such a massive drum and bass kick these days. But what I love about my artists this week, and we're talking about Dante Levo with the brand new track Ignite featuring Zella. What I love about this track, dude, is that it's not just drum and bass, okay? You're getting some of those melodic dubstep vibes as well. And I think when US audiences listen to drum and bass like this, like what Dante Levo put together here, I think that this kind of will lead to more interest and more infatuation with the with the genre of drum and bass because it has some of those melodic uh, dubstep, melodic melodic bass uh, familiarities to it. So I'm really excited for you guys to listen to this track, Ignite, featuring Zella, by my pick this week, Dante Levo. Take a listen. You hit the nail on the head there when you were talking about, you know, drum and bass that's perhaps more suitable for the North American market right now. And I, I was actually shocked when I listened to this because, right. I mean, I, I don't think I've heard someone do what Dante has done. I, I really don't think I've heard that before. I mean, Rachel, ha have you? It kind of combined, it really was a hybridization of, you know, whether it was melodic or even like, you know, some trance vibes in there too. Like it was just a, it was a very interesting hybridization. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And this was, what a phenomenal pick. Dante is dealing us a completely different brand of drum and bass from what we're accustomed to over here in the United States. And I'm excited to see what he do, what he does next. I mean, I did get a little bit of a Seven Lions vibe from this. I'm a mm. big Ophelia Records fan and this Work. feels like something that would fit right at home on Ophelia, yet it has, you know, Dante's own idiosyncrasies clearly apparent in it. So really impressed. And 
even if you look at his logo, you know, I was looking at that on SoundCloud page, even the logo kind of reminds me a little bit of Seven Lions. So mm. maybe there's an affinity there, but certainly fresh and in his own lane. Definitely. I think my man definitely, uh, you know, is feeling inspired by the great Seven Lions and Ophelia Records. I mean, who, who doesn't love Seven Lions? You know what I mean? But yeah, I, I think Dante Levo, and let's not let's not also forget about the vocalist on this Zella. I think both of these yes, people yes, here absolutely. just teamed up for something just so so phenomenal. I mean, we got to give our hats off to Zella as well because she sounded absolutely immaculate. Alec, Rachel, this is such a fantastic conversation. Honestly, Rachel, it's just so great to have you back on the show. I mean, you were one of our first special guests, and honestly, to have you back here after so much time has passed has, has just been wonderful, and it's always such a pleasure to hear you speak on something that you and and us like that we're all so passionate about and that's that's dance music and that's what's going to keep this scene driving forward passion be passionate rachel before we go did you have any concluding thoughts for the edm champions i just wanted to say thank you so much for having me and also you know the edm champions if you're new to this show keep tuning in and keep listening because, you know, in the dance music space, we have so many digital publications that are, you know, manifesting in the form of websites that cover EDM music and news. But what Alec and Samir have really done here is pretty revolutionary. There is a paucity of, you know, EDM focused podcasts that really so attentively talk about a lot of the issues or the topics that are central to the dance music culture. So I think what, what you've done, what you've both done here is just incredible. And to see you reach your 101st episode with many more to come is really just a testament to your passion. So thank you for you know coloring the space with that. Thank you so much. Wow, well, that that means the absolute world to us, uh, Rachel. Really it really, really does. And I just have to say as well, we're big admirers and fans of your work too. Uh, you know, all the writing that you've done over the years and everything that you're doing over at DA. So highly encourage all of our champions. We're going to have all the links, uh, you know, to your archive of uh, articles as well. So definitely check that out because you're doing absolute wonders for the scene too. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in for episode 101. Just a heads up, we are off next week because it's Memorial Day weekend. And Alec and I, we want to chill and we want to take one week off. But we'll be right back the week after for episode 102. Get tapped into all the great things that Rachel Narozniak is doing. Head to the show notes, beyondthebeats.co. Click on episode 101. You can find all the great stuff that she's up to. But until next time, we'll see you guys soon. Peace.